Hi, this is Derek Arp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA Podcast Show. And I have another great episode today for you. I have Daniel Ehrenreich from Secure Communications and Control Experts, a longtime industry contributor and well-known educator and teacher and speaker. He is known to be incredibly detail-oriented. He's got some strongly held opinions. He will share some of those, I am sure, with me today. He's a writer. He is a longtime world traveler, has logged a lot of miles and lived in different parts of the world. He is a safety advocate. He's also a father and a grandfather. And I welcome Daniel to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It will be a pleasure for me to talk to your audience. Well, I'm looking forward to this. You and I have sort of known each other, quote unquote, online and virtually, especially these last few years with COVID, but we haven't had a chance to really, you know, have this kind of sharing experience. I know I'll learn a lot about you today and so will our audience. And um, I'm excited to, to do this with you. You know, Daniel, I know you know some of the some of the uh, other episodes we've had, so you sort of know the formula. We go we go back where it all begins, and so uh, you know, I, I always make the same sort of joke that superheroes are, you know, have, you know, cybersecurity people are modern day superheroes, and all superheroes have a backstory. So where uh, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? Well, it's interesting. I was born in Slovakia. In Slovakia, in 1965, my family came to Israel, where I started my my new life in the school, in the university, obviously in a leading uh, unit in the army where I learned a lot of things about uh, about interesting electronics. And uh, I started my education in 71, finished at 75, and actually started to work for companies in different areas in 1975 in, in development, product development, system design, and uh, jamming systems, all kinds of ideas. In 1983, I was selected by one of the component vendors in Israel to be a subject matter expert for lithium batteries in in the USA. So me and my family spent six years in USA where I met many famous people who are famous today at their starting uh, point. And when I returned in home in 1988, I built my new house. In 1990, I joined Motorola. And since that, I'm fully dedicated to industrial control systems and later started the cybersecurity, specifically after the Stuxnet, which was the starting point for industrial cybersecurity around the world, according to my opinion. So if we go back to, uh, I'm always curious, especially where people come from different parts of the world, as a young person, did, was technology an area of interest or did that come you know, later with going to, going to university? Since, my, since I remember myself as a child, I was always doing something with hands, always built something and uh, repaired something. Uh, during my university time, I I made my income from fixing uh, TVs with lamps, okay? And uh, start and started my activity when transistors became famous. So I'm at age of 73 plus now and still excited, still creating something new. I open my office usually around six o'clock in the morning and usually close it around 10 because I cannot stop. Yeah, I'm not going to say you are our oldest guest. I'm going to say you are potentially our wisest guest uh, that we've we have had uh, you might you might be uh, on the podcast so far. I have to I'd have to go back and look. So um, it is uh, you, you've had a long uh, story career, and uh, I know your your energy and zeal is uh, is is you know it seems as high as it's probably ever been, which is is uh, to attribute to you that you're um, you're so committed to continuing to contribute to all these things. I know you are, and um, so thank you for that. So let's talk about then where and you sort of mentioned it. You did sort of you with your quick but early biography. Where do SCADA systems, that comes in pretty early, right? You're working with the batteries and somewhere early on SCADA systems comes in. Um, when, when was that? And what, what was the first sort of introduction to those systems? Actually, the, the, I started when I joined Motorola. I joined Motorola in 1991, not to, not to, actually end of 1990, not too many people know that the Motorola SCADA started in Israel. And why the why Motorola started the SCADA activity in Israel? Because we because we had some 
difficulties to do irrigation near the borders with our other countries. So they need to provide, create some type of remote control. The five-ton remote control started in Israel and uh, later it became a SCADA. And funny thing is that in 1973, when we had another war, I was already an experienced soldier. I asked to bring the irrigation controller to activate jamming uh, transmitters uh, during the war. So it was another kind of SCADA, but not irrigation, but, uh, but jamming uh, systems. And it was very interesting. So uh, when I joined Motorola, actually, I, it was my fully dedicated time to SCADA systems. And uh, later, later, as Motorola introduced newer and newer products, very famous, widely used in water systems in North America, South America, Australia, almost everywhere. But that, that activity of Motorola started in Israel. By the way, it is still, is still around. Even today, I visited a customer who have a Motorola SCADA system. Not Schneider, not Siemens, not Rockwell, not ABB, Motorola SCADA system. And so that system, which was developed in mid 80s, and the famous MDLC protocol, uh, which was developed by Motorola, is still alive and still working. And uh, many times, it's interesting, people may not know why the Motorola MDLC protocol was invested, because it was the only solution to transmit 100% reliable SCADA messages over 600 baud analog radio. I learned a lot during my, my activity. I bet so. I, I had multiple thoughts uh, as you sort of described that. I mean, one, there's that, we talk about the refresh rate. You know, there is technology that is long in the tooth still out there in production in many places. And that's an example of, uh, of it right there. Yes, uh, Motorola Israel was the company that implemented all the seven layers of the OSI stack in the in late 80s over absolute analog radios, which is used for voice communication by taxi drivers, because this was the only radio available at that time. But it provided 100% data reliability and flexibility and store and forward. So it was it was really a, a SCADA, we, we had the term SCADA data oriented a solution protocol not famous today because it's a proprietary one, but uh, but it's still used. As I said this morning, I saw one customer still using using that protocol yeah. and that analog radio, although slightly higher data rate, but still using. And the other thing that that, that sort of brought up as you described that is this was also a needs-based invention. You were talking about proximity to dangerous areas, like we need to be able to do some things, but maybe not have a human being there is what I was thinking in my head. So this is sort of like, where does innovation come from? Why do we have automation? Why do we have things like this? Necessity breeds some of this, right? There's also business reasons that people adopt this, but this was a, this was a we need to be able to monitor this system from over here. And we need to do it for, for safety reasons, um, human safety reasons, right? Did cybersecurity, was cybersecurity or was, was anybody being able to disrupt that or intermediate any of that was that even a discussion at that, at that no time? no i yeah. tell you no you know Derek. many people and not surprising me are detecting vulnerabilities in the plc's it is very very everybody is excited vulnerabilities in the plc's i said why you are excited plc's and scala systems were developed for assurance of operations, safety and reliability. Security was never considered as a concern. People don't realize that. And I said, what is a PLC? PLC is a polite device. You ask him to do that, he will do that. Ask him jump from the window, he will do that. That's the way he was designed. So why we are, yes, vulnerabilities, uh, but, Personally, I believe the SCADA security should be assured on the architecture level, not on the PLC component level. Why? Because if an attacker managed to penetrate to the industrial network, 
the game is over. He can do anything he like. Why? Because the, the architecture was designed to, to run a process. What is a process? Give me the data, you do this. Give me the data, you do that. That's the, that's the SCADA system. So I'm very, very clear on that message of, uh, of uh, how SCADA systems are built, whether water, oil and gas, or SCADA, or electricity distribution, or siren systems. Siren systems are SCADA systems. What you do, you activate it, you test, you do health check, and everything is fine. So it's you're you're talking it's interesting to talk about secure by design today you know building the, that that's a that's something people are talking about now not in the 80s it's always about like you said reliability right this function must happen and it must happen exactly the way we say and exactly when we say with complete reliability i mean that was its goal and those delivered those systems delivered on that and still do today but traditionally yeah traditional industrial control systems are insecure by design that's mm. we need to accept it well so let's talk about this you do 20 years with motorola um and you see a huge amount of stuff you travel the world you live in different places you lived in the united states i think for six years during that uh during that time no no it was before before, before. motorola it was for a israeli company okay. Iran, which unfortunately no longer exists but they but they were leaders in the lithium battery and during my time Israel small Israeli company produced the purple battery which acquired 50% of US market share in eight of in the end of 80s okay so that's that's the time period you're living in California uh was yes. there the lithium uh, lithium battery area okay and then Motorola for 20 years so um is, does any does cybersecurity come at all up during the Motorola years, or is that it, sort of next with with Siemens? It started it it started during the latest period in Motorola because because the Motorola protocol at that time the MDLC was cyber secured by design. You know, once you implement all the seven layers of the OSI stack, it's it's significantly better than the Modbus or DNP at that time, which were three or four layers of the OSI stack. So encryption was was implemented in the protocol in, uh, I would say, already in uh, around the uh, 19, uh, uh, close to uh, end of end of 90s. They already had encryption, and but the real action started in may 2010 with the stuxnet when the stuxnet happened obviously it was not a motorola product it was a it was a siemens a siemens product but immediately we received visitors from the cybersecurity experts in israel they said show us how is your product uh, secured so we showed them the seven layer osi stack we showed them the encryption we showed them authentication we showed them the data exchange at layer two layer three layer four and so on so we told them that this is very secure and they told us yes it looks secure but it is vulnerable vulnerable there are some holes in your system so this happened uh, around 2010 in 2021 i joined siemens which was immediately after the stuxnet and we immediately started to deal with cyber security they told me we are going to hire you because you will bring cyber security to power plants and to all these uh, uh, all these industrial facilities and this is what i did for uh, for about three years with siemens focusing bringing my industrial expertise from broad range of uh, applications and and starting to convince customers to introduce a cyber secure some encryption authentication to their architecture it was not possible until 2010 because people say well we are disconnected from the internet we are we are secure after the Stuxnet, that story slowed down a little bit, and we told them, no, you are disconnected, but you are not secured. 
Mm. And this is where this is when we started to introduce uh, cybersecurity solutions, and I did it for three years, uh, in uh, mainly in Israel because that was the region of the of the Siemens activity where I was based, and uh, started to publish papers already at that time. In 2000, uh, early 2014, I was hired by Waterfall Security, and uh, I had great time working with uh, with one of the best mentors, uh, Andrew Ginter, who, who who knew that I'm knowing the material, but he he really wanted to know that I'm speaking his language. So we spent uh, almost a year together, and after that, I I decided that I need to be self-employed and teach people on industrial cybersecurity. So this is uh, briefly what I'm what I'm doing now. Yeah, and I know that you're you're prolific. You're, you're speaking in in uh, lots of uh, places around the world, and uh, and and writing and serving on committees, and um, you've got you know you're not quite there almost a decade of doing that and and you're passionate about the education and um you know so why don't we talk a little bit about that maybe some of the themes that you are um you're finding are the most important that you're sharing and that are resonating with people or or not i know you've, you've also talked about sometimes people disagreeing on things and that's fine too you know what are you what are you most excited about you know sharing or what you know these days uh, there's so many different topics obviously people can focus on what are you focused on well, uh, as I mentioned, I like to do teaching. I'm the only one who is conduct who introduced the industrial cybersecurity to Isaka. Isaka is uh, is very far from industrial cybersecurity, but Isaka Israel decided to include uh, my sessions uh, and teach people who are not industrial experts. I organize my own my own classes and uh, to teach, teach industrial cybersecurity, teach uh, security assessment, and uh, explain in six hours what is 62443 all about. Not, not two weeks, only six hours, because that's what people agree to absorb. So I like to, I like to teach this. I'm, I'm really, uh, for me, it's really important to make sure that people understand what does it mean cybersecurity assessment. It's not only filling the pages of the regulation document, it's understanding what is the impact, uh, what kind of cybersecurity risk we are, we are facing. And now, even now I'm in a project uh, of a small power plant and I bring them that knowledge of how to protect their plant effectively correctly and cost effectively so this is uh, what i like to do uh, many people recognize me uh, for introducing the term srp safety reliability productivity or sra reliability and availability as an alternative to rotating the CIA letters i said people please do not rotate the CIA letters it's not correct always start with safety or follow with reliability after that it can be availability productivity business continuity these are the important things because if we don't start with safety then we are not conveying the important message and we are not bringing a different message from what it people are bringing we all know what is the discussion between it and ot people for the last uh, i not say decade probably three decades please don't come closer than 10 feet because you are an it person yeah yeah well yeah <laughs> you're right that's a still ongoing uh, sort of area of issue i, I like a number of things you shared there and i'll have to follow up with you about getting you to maybe do a blog article for us this idea of safety and having it, you know, this the rotation of CIA and AIC. I hadn't heard you say this uh, uh, before, but it sort of clicked with me on what 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 the what your emphasis there on the lettering. And 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 you're right, safety culture is deeply embedded in industry. And so grafting that, just saying, hey, let's not lose that, and, and that's important in in all in our cybersecurity context too. That 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 stays omnipresent makes makes a lot of sense, and uh, that certainly matches up with. I know you're your um, strong belief in keeping safety forward uh, on everything. And, and I've heard you talk on that. What, what um, you, you, you touched on another topic that I often ask about mentorship and you, you mentioned uh, 
our mutual friend, Andrew Ginter. So throughout your career, can you comment on the power of mentorship, both giving and receiving experiences you, you've had and, 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 and what that's played, what part that's played in your career path? I think, I think that correctly understanding what is important is basic for dealing with cybersecurity. And you cannot learn it in the CISSP class, you cannot learn it in the CISO class, or almost not in any class which is not de dedicated to industrial severity. You need to learn it from other experts. When I realized that this is one of the weaknesses in the industry, I started with in try to, to put together a wording of what is industrial cybersecurity attack. Because, you know, so many people are talking about Colonial and JBS and Norway alumi Aluminium. And I tell them, guys, this was not an industrial cybersecurity risk uh, attack. He said, yeah, but the, but the process was disrupted. No, I said, we need to be accurate. We need to precisely say that only attacks which are specifically direct, which are done through internal, external or supply chain, initiated action to harm the operation safety, reliability, and availability. These are attacks. They said, and people say, okay, so why Colonial is not included? Because Colonial did not affect the industrial operation. It affected the IT operation and there, they didn't have probably a business continue to plan. They were too careful, so they decided to shut down the pipeline. Why this is important? Because if I don't understand accurately what really happened, I will never develop an effective and cost-effective cost cyber defense. So business continue to planning should be very important activity. Obviously, disaster recovery and incident response, these are all coming as a package. And this is one of the things that I'm teaching people, what you do during BCP, which may take months and years, what you do during disaster recovery, which is, which is probably a very short period, and what you do during incident response, which is probably uh, something that lasts uh, minutes after the incident. And uh, I can tell you that some people have, many people have different opinions. People are trying to introduce different solutions. I'm not going to name companies which believe that, uh, that the system can be restored instantly after the attack. I said, never do that. When an incident happened, step number one, look at safety. Was anyone hurt? Was uh, anyone might get hurt uh, minutes after the incident? Because we all know when the temperature of the boiler is going up, it may happen minutes later. And then look at the damage, look at what happened and only hours after that start to think about restoration. So these are very, uh, you need to explain these people accurately. Once they understand it, they will correctly deploy cyber defense solutions. They will not buy a bunch of software. They will know exactly what to do and what to prioritize. Yeah, that's, I, I know we, we've talked about this. Detail oriented, I think is, is, is definitely a self-descriptor for you and that the details matter is something yes. that you're, you're, you're very passionate about. When I'm teaching in classes, I have I really dedicated a lot of time make sure that people understand what is important. Because I tell people, uh, how a firewall is programmed, don't come to learn from me. Every vendor will be happy to teach you significantly better than I, I will do it. But who will teach you? Who will teach you uh, what is right, what is wrong? What should be done first? What should be done, uh, done later? You know, recent weeks, I tried to create a training in one of the uh, countries and they said, well, you know, all the vendors are teaching us free. Why you are trying to create it your own? I said, what they are teaching you? Teach you how to buy their boxes. But who is going to teach you which box, which software, what is right? Simple think as data diode. 
where you can put a data diode, where you cannot put a data diode, where you should use a DMZ jump host server or a other solution. No one is going to teach you, only industrial cybersecurity experts. Uh, I'm, as I mentioned, I didn't mention earlier, but I'm def obviously I am vendor independent. I'm not proposing, promoting any product. I'm promoting concept, methodologies, principles, because if you learn that, you will make your uh, correct decisions. You know, I think that's one of the gold nuggets from today. Every episode has had at least one or two of these. I think you just uh, dropped one of your uh, golden nuggets out there, this idea of uh, principles, uh, you know, that are vendor agnostic, uh, you know, understanding the, the the fundamentals and applying logic is sort of, I didn't use that word, but I was hearing this sort of, well, there's a logic to this. Uh, and then you may choose to apply a, a solution to some of this, but that's not where you start. You start with this this sort of uh, this part. I, I, I think that that resonates with me. It makes it makes sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. So let's let's talk a little bit then about uh, things that you're you're working on today. You know, I know um, you're you're speaking, you're writing, you're speaking virtually, you're speaking physically, you're traveling. Um, you know, what what what's coming up? I mean, what kinds of things are you excited about uh, looking forward? Well, uh, condition number one, I must enjoy what I'm doing. That's condition number one to present this. So in so if you in, in the last three months, I traveled to Singapore to to conduct training classes and be part of the OTCEP uh, committee to to aim to educate engineers in Singapore. Uh, right now I'm consulting to a company which is building a power plant and they need to comply with the regulation for the Israeli Ministry of Energy. And you know, obviously they always bring you a nice book of 120 pages and they said, how we are going to comply with 120 pages? I said, okay, let's start with 10 important principles then you will be compliant with the 100 pages. So that's what I'm doing. In parallel, I'm, I'm doing assessment to one of the water, water utilities in Israel. And again, another, bo another book of 100 pages that you need to comply. I said, let's, uh, let's, I want to see your installations. I want to see your sites. I want to see if you, do, if, do you have any kind of back doors? One entity is interested to read the water uh, water flow, and other entity is interested to know how much water you pulled out from the from the from the well, and they are all connected to the SCADA systems. Uh, do you, we have any problem? Are all these entities correctly cyber secured? And I can tell you that we are finding things that uh, that need a lot of improvements. Okay, not of improvements, and uh, obviously, you know what is important. You you can never say to a customer, "Oh, you need to dismantle. You need to bring a new system." You need to find the accurate way. Take a flow meter, which two entities are connecting to that. Why don't you ask to make one connection through? digital pulses, another connection through a RS-232 port, and suddenly there is no bridge between the network. So be smart, use, understand how a flow meter is working and build your architecture taking advantage of details, okay? never. Uh, Always, always comply with segregation. Never install any backdoor. Always do hardening where it is possible. These are the ba these are the basic uh, principles. And probably, if you take ten principles, where you are you are doing already well. I tip. I really would like to say something that you didn't ask about it. The yeah. term, a famous term, ITOT convergence. So many people are teaching me, said, you know, the IT and OT are blurring and they are connected. They are almost connected. I said, we need to stop this discussion. This term, and I want to say very bravely, is incorrect. IT networks and OT, ICS OT networks must be separately designed, separately uh, deployed, separately tested and when everything is working fine they can be 
securely interconnected only for two reasons. Reason number one, improving productivity. You need to, you need to flow, uh, take some data from the ICS to the IT about raw material and whatever. And for a reduced cost of maintenance, detect some anomaly conditions, some vibration, temperatures uh, that people will know. So IT and OT must never converge. And I can tell you that I often see People are writing articles about ITOT convergence and in over LinkedIn, I, and I respond to them. Please, don't do that. Don't use that term. He said, "Why?" But this is what is happening all around the world. I said, "Yes, you are expert. I am expert. We will never make a mistake." But when those 99% of users who are not experts around the world they will create flat networks because they say, wow, it's converging. No, IT and OT must be built separately, tested and securely interconnected. Whether you use a data diode, if possible, or a DMZ or a jump host server or any other or a next generation firewall, all good. But start with separate design and the deployment. When people hear it, I said, Daniel, from all the training classes that you conducted, that's what we remember. People meet me after five years and said, I remember you told us this. I cannot forget what you said about IT and OT. I said, thank you very much. If you are implementing it in your own uh, company, I'm very happy. I get rewarded for that. Oh, I love it. I love it. And and I and then you and I have discoursed on this a little bit. I know that's an area and a set of terms that uh that you, you have uh have written on and talked on and and now that's that's a little peek behind the corner of uh or behind the covers of of what your what your point is, uh, which is a great point. And you know, that these things need to be thought of as a separate domains and, and have separate disciplines and practices and and then very, very smartly, purposely you know, chosen have how they're going to connect and when they're going to connect and why they're going to connect, I think is is uh, is pretty pretty smart methodology. Let's drop into a little just an opportunity for mentorship, especially with your background. We have engineers, people with non-cybersecurity background that would like to potentially, you know, join our industry and we don't have enough people, that's for sure. Is there is there advice that you would give? Either if you went back and you know advice you would give yourself 20 years ago, although it's a different time than it was then. But maybe there's something you'd say, yeah, I, I would give this advice to my younger self, or this is what I would give advice today to an engineer that wants to begin to add this to their, uh, you know, their professional journey. A any advice for for those folks or from your background? Derek, this is this is this will be the most important and beneficial part of our discussion. I would like to I would like to uh, to start with two sentences. Sentence number one is for managers. How many managers know what is written in ISO 27001-2013, Section 5, Para 1? How many people remember that? None. It's written that the CEO and the board of directors are responsible for cybersecurity. Okay? Once they understand it, situation will improve. Uh, second, education to employees has the highest ROI among all PPT, uh, people, policies, technologies related to an investment. So training, train your people. Now, what kind of training? Obviously, adapted training. If you take a chemical factory, there are probably 10, uh, uh, 10 different groups, which need, or five or 10 different groups which need to be trained. I can tell you that I never, I don't have a, a fixed training. I, I always ask you, tell me who are the people who are coming? What is your goal that they will learn? And if and I will always tailor a specific training for, for them. Some people need a four hours awareness. Some people need understanding what is, uh, what is correctly done, industrial control system assessment. Managers need to know how to make a correct decision related to investment, related to hiring people. 
and uh, I'm not shy to say that I create specific training. University of Rabat uh, in Morocco invited me for five days. And they said, I said, okay, who is the audience? I said, the audience are people from the university. I said, what do you want to know? What do you want to learn? They said, simple, everything. Teach us everything that you know. I conducted 40 hours training in the University of Rabat in March this year, slowly went through all the topics. You know, it's not easy to, uh, to have a, such a condensed training. Uh, my typical training is 16 hours, 16 hours, uh, which is four meetings over the internet of four hours or two full days uh, or two, three days in, in person. We conducted such a training in Singapore in June. It was done combination of frontal and, uh, and hands-on training. So I do believe that education must be tailored for the specific audience. And this is what I believe. If you look at the cost, and naturally, the biggest cost is the time of the people. It's not what you pay to the trainer. It's minor. If you take uh, 25 people in a room, how much you pay to a trainer is minor. It's the time of the people, their working hours. So why don't you ask the trainer, are you willing to, to tailor for us a dedicated uh, workshop? If yes, that's what we are doing. And right now, I'm about a week ago, I conducted a four-hour session to a chemical uh, facility in Israel. They said, we had many trainings before, and now we want to have a short frontal and uh, more of the time hands-on. I said, fine, I will tailor for you a four-hour uh, session specifically for your engineers. This is what you must know. And you cannot believe that people said, wow, we have been in five trainings before, and we learned something very, very important. So when, it, when I hear that, I'm happy. Well, that that is, I think you're right. There's a number of important shares in there. And I, this, what I heard, you didn't say this, but this is what I heard is one size does not fit all. And um, time is precious and it is a, it is a valuable, you're right. You fill a room with 50 students. That's a, you know, there's a, a, a value there that's quite high. And so uh, you said something earlier about, I've only got this many hours to talk about a standard. I think you were talking about the time. And then I have to, you know, I've, I've got to get, this, uh, all these pages and all this content and get it down to, you know, something that can be digested in a certain amount of time. And that's a, there's a powerful support for that, which is the idea of not just fitting a time frame, but also uh, fitting, uh, fitting people's appropriate uh, background, level of business, um, and, and that they can consume the right content that, that, well, the content that's right for them, uh, you know, based on what they're, what they're doing, what they can achieve versus trying to shove everything down uh, you know, into everybody's mind is 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 not not going to work. It, you know, training. Uh, we cannot create a formula that training will be too long, like a week or two weeks, or too expensive. What will be the result? People will not come. Training must be well adapted and affordable. So my training classes are. They are tuned according to that direction. And I welcome everyone to, I'm not pro not doing here promotion, but I, I want to emphasize the importance because if something will happen in your facility and the, when the investigation will come, what? how can you explain that you did not dedicate four hours to your employees to learn? how to detect a cybersecurity incident. You did not invest at this four hours, six hours in your employee. So they didn't know how to do. I always, I always remember the Oldsmar case. It was so famous that that operator instantly detected that something is going wrong and he took the correct action. How can you calculate the value of that training, which I, I assume that that employee received? How can you calculate it? He reacted correctly, immediately, and he rescued his operation from a major incident, which is even hard to describe. Similar thing happened in a, in a, in a facility in Israel. There was an attack. People immediately catch the situation, took the right action, and uh, and uh, 
I think this is uh, this is uh, most important. Technologies, we all know what is technology. Technology is important, but how often you can deploy a new technology every 10 years, every 15 years? If you ask me about that, training is the most important investment. And uh, I hope people, I, I say it several times because I'm so much interested that people will say, well, Daniel said that makes sense. It's affordable. It's important. Let's do that. Yeah, well, that's another uh, important area that I overlaps with my own belief system, too. We do have a lot of human development. Uh, I spent years and years uh, excited about new technologies as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, helping bring some to market and uh, have realized over 25 years that technology is is not where, you know, is not necessarily the most important piece. It's a huge piece, but if you don't have the right people and if they are not prepared properly, who cares about the technology? I know that's that's maybe not fair, but that's how I it's almost where I am philosophically is we've got to get the human being problem fixed. Uh, you know, there were, I, I know in my past, there were technologies that we had that we could have given to companies, you know, let alone sold to them uh, for money. We could have given it to them and they couldn't have operationalized it. They couldn't have done anything with it. They weren't ready. Derek, one point we didn't cover yet before time is over is talking a little bit about IoT, IIoT. You know, I read many papers and uh, people said IIoT, OT, or people say OT, IT, IIoT. And, and finally, when I read the paper, I said, people talk about IoT. And I said, people, there is a huge difference between IoT and IIoT. They sound similar, but IIoT is industrial uh, internet of things, which are must be securely uh, linked to the industrial network. IoT is for commercial. People think IoT is a, is a new idea. I can tell you that Motorola deployed probably 45 years ago a vending machine in Las Vegas, which was monitoring the number of cans per hour and transmitted the data over 9,600 bits per second radio. So people next morning know what <laughs> knew what type of cans to bring to the vending machine. So IoT is, belongs to consumer commercial IT type product. We need to know that IIoT is an important component. It's not new, the name is new, but we need to pay attention. Every IIoT device is increasing, also IoT, the cyber attack surface. So when you look at the architecture, which was years ago, fair, nicely done, it was isolated. Suddenly you see IIoT devices and suddenly you see so many backdoors that people can people can penetrate through that IIoT device during industrial control system. So you cannot put a diode over there. So you can and you will not put a firewall. Uh, also, it's too expensive for an IoT device. But we need to understand that IoT devices are important. They increase the cyber attack surface, and this is the reason why we must think carefully about every device we are adding. I was thinking about it long time. Suddenly I read the article and it says 75% of IoT projects does not deliver the benefit. And I said, wow, but 100% of IoT devices and IoT increase the attack surface but 75% not deliver the benefit. So I said, we need to think about it. We need to be very careful. We need to, we need to carefully evaluate every device. Are we going to add it? And if we decide, yes, I need that temperature sensor on the top of the boiler, immediately think about what kind of compensating cyber defense measure I'm going to, to deploy. So that sensor, that IIoT device will not inc will not increase the risk above the acceptable level as it defined in the I in the six two four four three standard, the acceptable level. Because if it increases the risk, one is okay. Hundred is a major problem. So I need to I need to 
adapt my architecture. And if I'm not willing to do that or cannot do that because of budget, because of complexity, because of legacy, then, well, let's take a week and think about it. Well, that's pretty sage advice to end on. And those statistics uh, are really interesting. Like let's attack the service, you know, increase our attack service, but not yield the reasons or the you know the results for having done so. Uh, so yeah, and being more prudent, being more thoughtful, that's uh, good advice. And having rigor around that, right? Having probably uh, internal processes for we adopt new technology after these these thought processes are completed, right? Um, and and then that might lead to some things not being adopted, and that's okay. I mean, that may be the consequence. As long you know. Always ask, I always ask, ask a second opinion, ask an expert, should I be careful? And even this week, I see someone, an authority requested to measure the flow. This is great. You know, I will not tell them why not to measure the water flow or the water coming from the well. It, it's important. But I ask that customer, who, which cybersecurity expert evaluated it? Well, we have an IT expert, so he looked at it. I said, no, no, no. He didn't see the big door to the industrial industrial system. And then we figured out how to do it right, and everybody was happy. Yeah, well, that's, that, is, that is great advice. Um, what uh, I think you have a conference coming up, and I wanted you to just definitely, before we parted ways today, mention that. Yes. Uh, uh, Obviously, today you have so many conferences that uh, that uh, in Israel we have two major conferences: the CyberTech and the Cyber Week in June and in in uh, January. And uh, I decided that we need something dedicated to industrial cybersecurity. So in 2016, I. Uh, created together with a strong PR company, People and Computers. Uh, I created together with them the conference, which is called ICS CyberSec. We had many speakers. We had Eric Byers and Del Peterson and Sarah Flukes and uh, many people from abroad already participated and gave a speech at uh, this conference. The next one, it's one once a year. Its next one will be in 20, on 20th of November in Israel. Uh, this will be an in-person conference, uh, and uh, I know not too many people will travel to Israel for a one-day conference. But uh, but please be aware that uh, and look at the look at who gave the speech about what topics. At least you can contact the speaker and uh, ask for his presentation or his slides. That's perfect. Uh, everybody will be happy to share his knowledge because our we have a very simple goal improve the cyber security around the globe for industrial system this is our simple goal and uh, we will never achieve it 100% but if we will get closer to that i think it's very very important and the conference and my papers i publish papers in the icsjwg newsletter almost every 3 months my paper uh, is appeared in the cyber magazine in europe some of you, you may know the cyber magazine uh, uh, which was introduced about a year and a half ago. Uh, they published my papers. And uh, so every time when people say, Daniel, we learned a lot from your paper, I'm happy. And I said, well, this is what I'm doing in my life. I enjoy it and I get rewarded. So, well, so... that's, a, that's a, a, a great message. It's certainly um, compatible. Your your mission there is the same as CSA's, right? Increase. Uh, any uh, progress towards cybersecurity of, of systems we all rely on and we take for granted as we as a society often take for granted that they function and work and deliver all the things we need and, and our lives are based on and uh, them being safe and secure is critical. And um, I, I always say also critical infrastructure, okay, there's designations, but if whatever your infrastructure is, if you own it and operate it, it's probably critical to you, even if someone else doesn't label it critical. So. Uh, we've got to keep them all safe and secure, no matter how important they are. 
and um, and so our yeah those those missions were were on the same same page there. It's critical. It's important. Very very good. Uh, I enjoy very much the discussion with you, Derek, and I see that we are both of us are directed to the same mission. Don't call it anything else, just a mission. Something that you are doing because you are believing in in in, in doing it and. Uh, and I want to thanks to all to to all those people who I learned from them because you know for many years you learn from many people starting in a communication and the reliable communication, secure communication, and I think that spreading this knowledge is important and we will be closer to our goal one day. Not sure when, but we will be closer. Well, like you said, we don't ever arrive at 100 percent It's a journey. And we can be better than where we are today for sure. So let's do that. And we keep marching forward, right? And getting better. Um, there's no destination where we arrive and we all relax and say, we made it. <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed uh, this discussion, Dan. And I know that we will um, and we will have some more consequence of this. A number of things I've written down that we, we could talk, have some further discussions on for everybody's benefit. We're now at that uh, part of the show where uh, it, bittersweet, we say goodbye for the moment, but we end uh, on a fun note by one of my favorite parts. And uh, I've been a longtime fan of this show. Uh, it was called Inside the Actor's Studio. It may still be around, but the longtime host, James Lipton, passed on. Uh, and he had led this uh, show of interviewing the famous actors and actresses uh, over decades. And he always ended his interviews with the exact same questionnaire, questionnaire which he called the Pavot Questionnaire, which I subsequently found out he borrowed from a French show before that. So this could have been these same 10 questions have been asked in an interview format for maybe 50 years. I don't know when the French show aired, but it's uh, it's going to go back a long way. Um, and so if you're ready, I'll ask you the same 10 questions from the Pivot questionnaire. Okay. What is your favorite word? My favorite word is uh, is educating people and, and helping them to do the right things. What is your least favorite word? I would say uh, any negligent uh, negligency which uh, create risks. What turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? When I realize people want to learn from me, it makes me happy, and you cannot stop me. What turns you off? Actually, uh, when people say we disagree with you, because there is not, there is never something absolutely correct. So when people say I disagree with you, I said, well, maybe I need to check if I said something wrong, but. Yes, yes, this was make me unhappy because we should not disagree. We may have a different opinion, that's fine. And number five, what is your favorite curse word? I don't know. Number six, what sound or noise do you love? I like a, I like quiet environment, not specific noise. What sound or noise do you hate? If if there is a, if people speak loudly, noisily, this is something that uh, stop my thinking and. Uh, disturbing me what profession other than your own would you like to attend i think that for rest of my my career i will continue with teaching and uh, if i have to teach something different if i will have to go to school to teach mathematics i will not shy to do that what profession would you like to not do something that does not create benefit for people and if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates you did a good work. You work hard over your life. Welcome. Thank you, Daniel Ehrenreich. He is a cybersecurity leader in industry. He's uh, been around doing engineering and cybersecurity for control systems as long as probably anybody's been working on it. Thank you for that, for your years of service to our society. And uh, thanks for uh, coming on the show and, and being out there, uh, adding your energy and, uh, and years of experience uh, to uh, depositing ideas and critical thoughts into people's minds all over the world. Thank you for, for doing that. Thank you for having me here. I'm I'm very happy we had this opportunity and I'm looking forward to people who will listen to your show, learn from it, and most important, implement what they learned. Thank you, Daniel Ehrenreich. Take care, be well, and we'll talk again soon.